We finally reached Navio. So excited yeah. for the saints. A lot of good stuff in here. Christ-like attributes, humility, integrity, some temple ordinances. Yep, Navu House, Navu Temple. Mm -hmm. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, this is a super significant section. Yeah, so. it is. Okay. Uh, so welcome. Before we get into our uh, discussion, should we follow up on what we read? Yeah, let's do it. So today we're studying Doctrine and Covenants, section 124. Joseph Smith is told to share the gospel with leaders of government. The Lord promises to visit and soften their hearts. The saints are commanded again to build a temple in Nauvoo and promise eternal blessings to the obedient. The Lord is also going to fill priesthood offices. He is going to instruct the members of the church to be humble and to seek after the Spirit. And he's also going to teach that one of the purposes of the priesthood is for the perfecting of saints. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things going on in this section today, but we're going to focus in on three in particular. Developing meekness and integrity, the restoration of temple ordinances, and accessing priesthood power through temple work. So in order to help us to dive deeper into the scriptures, to understand the historical context and understand these topics better, we've invited our friend, Matt McBride. Matt, can you join us up here? Happy to. Thank you. Thanks, it's good to be here. So Matt, you are the Director of Publications at the Church History Department. Yes. So you also co-edited Revelations in Context, which is a supplemental resource uh, for understanding the Doctrine and Covenants. And you also helped produce the Saints volume, which is uh, the new kind of newest volume of church history, which tells the history of the church from a more global perspective. That's right. Excellent. So tell us, uh, what, do you, what is it that you do as a director of publications in the church history department? Well, I have the real great blessing to work with a talented team of historians, writers, editors, and we, uh, we produce projects such as the Joseph Smith Papers and the Saints books. We do some videos, we do other, other materials, any, anything that would be kind of uh, publishing that's coming from the church history department, that's our, that's our team. Excellent. Okay, so before we get into our discussion, is there anything uh, especially significant or meaningful to you in this section or maybe something we need to know going into it to understand it better? Well, I think we'll have a chance to cover a lot of this, but this is a really important temple revelation. And, and that's, that's what uh, is most important to me is the way that it establishes a direction uh, for temples and temple worship that we, that we still uh, are blessed mm -hmm. from today. Excellent, thanks. Yeah. So maybe we can transition now and talk a little bit about the importance of meekness and integrity in this section. So one of the things that I noticed as I was going through uh, this section, specifically in verses 1 and 4 and 18, is you have the Lord lauding these attributes of weakness. Specifically, he says that I will show forth my wisdom through the weak things of the earth. Verse 4, individuals are encouraged to have uh, the spirit of meekness. Again, verse 18, talking about Lyman White, he's continued preaching for Zion in the spirit of meekness. So my question is, what is it about weakness and meekness that uh, makes us good servants of the Lord, that makes us good disciples, do you think? First of all, that, that word meekness is an interesting one. It's one that, um, in fact, there, there's a great quote from Elder Bednar that, I, that I'd love to share that, that I think really digs into what, you know, what meekness is. But he said, meekness is strong, not weak. It's active, not passive. Courageous, not timid. And then he says, modest, not self-aggrandizing, gracious, not brash. A meek person is not easily provoked, pretentious or overbearing, and readily acknowledges the accomplishments of others. And I love this, and part of why I think this is such crucial counsel that's given in this section is given to people who are gonna be preaching the gospel. They're, they're, they're commanded to proclaim the gospel in meekness. And this is such powerful advice for a missionary. Mm -hmm. And every time I see language of, of meekness or lowliness of heart or humility, I'm just reminded that the work that the Lord 
asks us to do is his work. Yeah. And we have to be so disposed that he can work through us. And I think that's why meekness is key because it allows us to be conduits to his, to his power, to his agency. So I'm curious, uh, you see how Elder Bednar here defines meekness. What do you think we might do or what have you done to cultivate meekness in your life? Yeah, Weston. In my mind, at least, meekness has a lot to do with teachability, like the ability we have to grow intellectually from things that happen to us. So mm -hmm. something in my life is I like to look at all of the, the challenges and the opportunities that the Lord gives me and see not only what lesson I have to learn, but also how I can learn it. Really, there's a lot more that we can do to grow and develop and become more like God. And I think that's something I've tried to do at least to become more meek is figure out what the Lord is trying to teach me in every moment of my life. President Thank you. Elder, Elder Bednar, in the same talk that Matt was just quoting from, actually gives a, a number of examples of people who are meek. And one of them that he talked about is President Eyring. President Monson asked the members of the church to read the Book of Mormon, and President Eyring probably knows the Book of Mormon better than all members of the church, maybe. And what does he do when the prophet asks to have the Book of Mormon read again? He reads it again. The Lord will continue to teach you if you're meek and if you're humble about it. It's a great comment. I was going to say, um, on this topic of meekness, it, it's important to develop as a Christ-like attribute. We're all trying to become more like the Savior, but it's also important because of the way that it helps us to gain influence with other people. Yeah. So you think about whether that's as a missionary or as you suggested, as, as a new church leader in, in a calling, whether it might be as a parent. Meekness is an, is an attribute when you're working with another person. And, and you're trying to have a positive and a, and a righteous influence with that person. It's very, very different than the, kind of this sense of being overbearing or pushy or, mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. But so I, just kind of that idea of, of meekness and influence seems, seems important. On that same thing, back to Elder Bednar, speaking of other people, he says, meekness is a particular spiritual receptivity to learning from both the Holy Ghost and from people who may seem less capable, experienced, educated, who may not hold important positions or who otherwise may not appear to have much to contribute. So a meek person is going to learn from a child. They're going to learn from somebody who doesn't necessarily speak their language. They want to learn from everyone. They just want, they want to learn the truth and hopefully speak the truth regardless. Yeah. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about is if you go throughout here um, in two places, so specifically verses 15 and verse 20, so the Lord's talking about Hiram Smith and George Miller, and he commends them both because of the integrity uh, of their hearts. So a question I have for you all is, why is it, what does it mean to have, be, have integrity of heart and why do you think this is so important in the Lord's service? John, right? So I think that, that really all we ever have to give is our heart. Mm -hmm. Like the Lord has everything else, but we have our agency. Mm -hmm. And so this act of giving your whole heart mm -hmm. to the Lord is really all we have. And this is such an amazing time because He's kind of saying we're gonna build this city mm. and you think like today be like, okay, we need this skill and we need this capacity and we need all these people who know how to do this. Mm -hmm. But he's saying, I need people who are willing to just give me their whole heart. That was the qualification, mm -hmm. not some um, resume of, of experiences mm -hmm. that they had. And so if you think about it, we all can do that. Mm -hmm. All of us can give everything we have in our heart mm -hmm. and then the Lord will take us from there and help us and that's, kind of what meekness is, because they were ready to give up, I think. Mm -hmm. A lot of them and said, no, keep going. Maybe meekness means don't give up. Yeah, great. Yeah, Shay. To me, when I think of integrity, I think the first thing that comes to mind is, are you willing to do the right thing when no one else is watching or is paying attention? And 
When I think about it in church leaders, to me, if, if I can trust that my church leaders have integrity, it means really two things. One, I can trust that they're living good lives on their own and that I can trust that they are actually doing what they are counseling me to do, which personally just brings me a lot of comfort. But I think the other thing that maybe is even more important is that being a leader, at least what we experience and what we learn about in church history, does not always mean that things are easy. And if you don't have integrity, when things are not easy, I think you're more likely to fold. And yeah. so I think the Lord was kind of saying, I need you to have integrity because like you saw in Missouri, mm. this is not going to be easy and <laughs> Nauvoo is not going to be easy. Uh-huh. Um, so I think integrity being that qualifier was basically saying, I need you, kind of like what John mentioned, I need mm. you to stick it out. I need you to stick around. And I need you to make the right choices even when you're not going to like the outcome. Yeah, so it's a kind of constancy or continuity independent of external circumstances or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, and as you were saying that, I mean, the thing that come to mind when I, when I hear uh, integrity is kind of a lack of duplicity or hypocrisy. Like, you know, you do the same thing in the light as you do in the dark uh, when nobody's watching and what you see is what you get. And I mean, elsewhere in, in section 124, he associates, uh, the Lord associates integrity with trust, this idea that you can, you can rely on somebody when you know who they are and what they'll do in any given circumstance. Excellent. That idea of trust, glad you mentioned it. You know, ultimately we can only fully trust in, in the Savior. Right. Uh, and, and yet I love this idea in, in verse 20 where the Lord says that George Miller can be trusted because of the integrity of his heart. And we, we always think about putting our trust in the Lord. I love the idea of the Lord being able to place his trust in, in us as we uh, develop this attribute of integrity, whether that be to work with his children or, or serve in some capacity in trying to build the kingdom. The Lord places a tremendous amount of trust in us to use, to use our agency wisely. The whole mortal experience is, is him extending a, a tremendous amount of trust to his children. And so I love that tie. And, and that's a way that we can uh, put ourselves in a situation where the Lord can call upon us to do more if, if, we, if we have integrity. Excellent. So it's been a great discussion on uh, developing meekness and integrity. Let's talk now about the restoration of temple ordinances. So again, Matt, this is, this is an area that you have really studied and looked into, especially with that, your book on the Nabu Temple. Can you kind of walk us through this restoration process? Sure. So you know that there was one temple that the church had, had completed before they arrived in Nabu, and that was the Kirtland Temple. But if you had come to a Latter-day Saint just in the, in the days or weeks or months leading up to this revelation and asked them, what do you do in a temple? What do Latter-day Saints do in temples? Uh, they would have said something like, well, it's a place where we gather as a congregation, we worship the Lord, we sing hymns, we hear uh, talks, we uh, partake of the sacrament. These are the kinds of things they would have talked about. And, and what's really important about section 124 is that at this moment, the saints really kind of stand on uh, at the threshold of a, a completely new understanding of what temples are, what they're for, and it's, and it's an understanding that would seem very familiar to us today. So we, we talk a lot about uh, the Nauvoo Temple and how it was constructed and built in Nauvoo. At the same time that physical temple's being uh, constructed, there's another temple in a sense that's being constructed. And it's the temple that Elder Packer once called the Invisible Temple. It's the same in all the temples and it, and it consists of the ordinances, the covenants, the doctrines and teachings that we receive in the temple. And that edifice, so to speak, spiritually is built in Nauvoo. And it really starts here. But, but everything that we, we think about as temple work, temples, marriage ceilings, uh, the endowment, work for the dead, baptisms for the dead, all of this 
is is introduced during this really uh, remarkable time period, and it, and it really is kicked off by section 124. Uh, it's tied in with this commandment here in, in verses 26 through the 30s, where the Lord commands them to build a house. He ties ordinances like baptisms through the dead to the temple, and then he promises them more. And then we see those promises fulfilled over, over the coming months. It sounds like you're saying that Latter-day Saints have understood the role of the temple differently over time, and that the ordinances performed in the temple have evolved over time as well. Can you give us a sense for how those ordinances have evolved and why? Well, you know, moving forward from this really remarkable period in the early 1840s where so much of what we think of as temple work is established for the first time, you know, there, there are absolutely changes that have occurred over time. But one of the ways I like to think about those changes uh, is, is uh, you know, with the endowment in particular, I like to think of the endowment as this important moment of instruction and covenant making. And the instruction and the covenants, the heart, the kind of the beating heart of the endowment really, really haven't changed. And yet there's trappings around that. There's the mechanics of it. There's the mode of presentation, the way that those uh, teachings and covenants are delivered. Those things change uh, under prophetic direction over time. And that's okay because, because the heart of that ordinance is really the covenants and the inspired teachings and those, those do uh, remain uh, stable. One question I have, what kind of uh, blessings have you seen from the restoration of priesthood ordinances in your life? Yeah, Weston. One of the things that I find really interesting is earlier in the Doctrine and Covenants, there's a scripture that says that through the ordinances of the gospel, the power of godliness is made manifest. And I've definitely seen that in my life, you know, as I frequented the temple more and more often and gotten to experience those different ordinances that we have there, is that it's like... I was like a nine volt battery and after the temple I go to like a 900 volt. Like the Lord just supercharges my spirit and my ability to combat the darkness that's around me with new knowledge and new light, new power. And I just feel like that's been super helpful as I've gone through difficult things to really know that the Lord is able to expand my capacity beyond what I think is possible and give me like additional strength to combat my challenges. Beautiful comment, Weston. So uh, I think we have a video question from a viewer at home. Hey, so the question today is, after the prophet Joseph Smith died, the succession passed on to Brigham Young. Um, there were some groups that did not agree that he should be the prophet at the time and uh, went their own separate ways and uh, formed their own churches. So my question is, do these churches still have the priesthood and the authority to use it? And uh, if so, why or why not? From the standpoint of, uh, you know, my faith as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we, the, the answer to the question would be no. We, we don't believe that they have that authority. And, you know, part of the way I like to think about it ties back in with the temple too. Because in the years leading up to his death, the, the, Joseph Smith took the 12 into his confidence and he gave them all of the temple ordinances. They were, they were trusted with these ordinances, and we even have evidence that he had authorized them to administer them to the others. And they're really the only group who's doing this. So as you look at the various people after Joseph Smith's death who, who claimed, you made a claim to, to the leadership of the church, the 12 and Brigham Young are conspicuous in this way in that they were intent on preserving and implementing uh, these important temple teachings and, and giving the temple ordinances to people. And so that authority of the priesthood to administer temple ordinances is a really important part of that succession question. 
you know, I'm very similar to you. We would say openly and honestly with another member of another church who is a breakoff church that we do believe that because of that succession and, and Brigham Young being given those keys and he becoming the president of the Quorum of the Twelve and then later the prophet, that is what distinguishes us having the priesthood power and authority of God on the earth today, whether it's for those who are ordained to a priesthood office or this priesthood authority that we're talking about that, that is in the temple. So yeah, there's, there's a big distinction, but I, I hope we, in saying that, when we talk to other members of these different faiths, or in any church for that matter, that we are always kind, respectful, and recognize we, they may not have the priesthood power and authority that we're discussing, but they do have uh, guidance from the Holy Ghost. They do have good intentions. They are often very Christ-like and, and wonderful people, and we have much to learn from them. We definitely don't have a monopoly on being Christ-like. So, so you're saying we, we should show meekness? Yes, exactly, <laughs> yes. So this has been a great discussion on the restoration of temple ordinances. Let's talk a little bit about uh, accessing priesthood power through temple work. You know, the, the saints in Nauvoo, they're, they're contributing everything for this period of a few years. Uh, their time, their means, their, their, you know, they work one day in 10 as kind of a labor tithing to help contribute uh, and build that temple. Uh, all of the anticipation that they'll receive these promised blessings, this endowment of power that Joseph Smith's been talking about. And that moment comes in the winter of 1845 and 1846. They dedicate the attic of the temple um, and they bring uh, people in in groups and they start to administer the endowment uh, during this uh, winter time period. Now, tragically, at the same time, there's something uh, going on and that is that they're being forced to leave the state again. Uh, and there's kind of a little bit of an ultimatum. They need to leave in early 1846. And so they're just spending all of their time, day and night in the temple, uh, to give the ordinance of the endowment to as many people as they possibly can to seal marriages and prepare for this trek across uh, the United States to the Great Basin. And there's this great moment in February where Brigham Young says, it's time to be done, we have to leave, we have to go. Uh, and he, he says it's time to stop. So he says, we're closing the temple and he starts to walk away. And he gets some distance and he turns around and looks back and all of those saints that he had just dismissed are still standing there at the temple. Just, and he can tell that they're longing to receive the endowment. Um, and so he relents and he turns around and he comes back to the temple and they spend another day uh, or more uh, giving the endowment to hundreds of, of additional people before that trek. And I, I love that moment because it just reminds me of, of just how precious those ordinances are. We can take it for granted. We can go to the temple. Uh, we can receive the ordinances. We can receive that endowment. But these saints are in a position where they had kind of sacrificed everything. Uh, and, and then they, they're, they're able to receive the, the blessings in the temple. Thanks for sharing that. So, so what I want to talk about a little bit, and first of all, I think it's important too, as far as the context of the temple, how they would build the bottom. So we had the, the baptismal font built and then dedicated and then continue on through the temple, right? So that's why we see this also here. The Lord is talking early on about the baptismal font. That's going to be dedicated. Later on, we're going to have the rest of the temple in different stages dedicated. Yeah, they, they, they put a font in the basement and they cover it with a temporary wood roof and they dedicate it and they get to work. And then as the temple uh, is completed in successive stages, they dedicate what they need to and, and, and start, to, start, start to work. In a sense, you can kind of see that they wanted so bad to have these things done right, these, these covenants to be made and these ordinances to be performed as well. Without the temple and without this Nauvoo period of time, members of the church throughout the world would not understand our relationship to our heavenly parents. We wouldn't understand the potential of who we can become because that's only possible through our temple endowment and through our covenants. 
So what are some of the powers in your life that you have seen or received because of your covenants and keeping your covenants? Yeah, please. I know that I've definitely been blessed because my parents go to the temple and because they care so much about that experience. And they've shared what they've learned there and the things that they do there with me, which has definitely helped um, my testimony and understanding of the work. So I've sort of been blessed by proxy almost by my parents' faith and dedication to the temple. That's beautiful, thank you. Catherine, please. Just as everyone's been speaking, every different comment, even though they've varied a little, have resonated with me because I feel like every time I go to the temple, the Lord knows exactly what I need and what kind of power he needs to give me in that moment. And so just every time I go, he gives me these little nuggets of light that I need, whether it's feeling close to my dad who passed away when I was 14 or being able to feel like I do have a purpose and direction in my life or just feeling that closeness with my heavenly parents. Every time it's a little different, but he knows what power to give us as we go. Yeah, and I think that's a great point that you made. The Lord knows what power to give us in order for the sal- us to have the salvation that we need. And, and the powers and those responsibilities may be different for each individual, which I think is one of the reasons why President Nelson asks us to go to the temple and find out for ourselves what the Lord is going to endow us with. Great comment. I wonder if that's some of the reason why it's sometimes difficult to kind of put your finger on it because it is so tailored to your individual needs and it looks different depending on our circumstances. Yeah. But I, I do take great comfort in the idea that, you know, the Lord knows us best he knows what we need in the in the circumstances in which we need it and by attending the temple that we can receive a kind of endowment of power and blessing according to our needs in that moment a couple of the comments got me thinking about the temple as a place of revelation that's certainly a a gift of of power of, of that knowledge that can be really empowering spiritual knowledge other spiritual gifts the thing that i like to think of is when we go into the temple and we are sealed to others and we participate in this work of trying to offer the ordinances of salvation to, to people who have died. We're making ourselves a part of this great kind of network of, of salvation. Uh, and we're, we're joining a great work with people on this side of the veil, people on the other side of the veil. And, and I think there's kind of a strength that comes to knowing that you're, you're part of this great effort. You're, it's, it's God's plan, but it's our plan too. It's his work, but it's our work too. And when we dive in and we, and we do that, you know, we're, we're part of this great team. And so when our prayers go up uh, to the Lord, we can be assured that the prayers of others uh, who are in this work with us together are, are reaching his ears as well. And there's, there's power there in being, being part of something big. Yeah, please. I kind of watched this happen with a young, uh, a young mother who joined the church and didn't have a lot of support from home and felt very alone. And uh, he really, I felt bad for kind of the, the, the way that she felt because she didn't have that support. But when she grasped the idea of eternal families and covenants and ordinances, all of a sudden it was like she now knew that her future family would all be connected and together and happy that she also could look not just forward, but backward as she did the work for her ancestors. And that because maybe some of the family on earth wasn't super supportive, her family was very excited for her. Yeah. To, so, she, so she was strengthened by those that would come after her and she was strengthened by those who were rooting for her to, 
to do the work and to join in others doing the work. And so kind of that staying power of those, those emotions and feelings help her to kind of um, overcome some of the challenges she felt because her parents were not as supportive. And, but in time, it would all work out because of the temple. Yeah. Thanks. This has been a great discussion on accessing priesthood power through temple work. Uh, thank you so much for your comments and insights and, and, and your stories. Matt, we really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for your the wonderful context that you gave us today. Thanks for helping us understand and dive deeper into these scriptures. Thanks, it was great to be here. Thank you. We'd like to thank those of you here in our studio audience as well. Thank you for your insights. Thanks for your testimonies, your comments. We really appreciate it. And to those of you at home, thank you for sending us your comments and questions via social media. Uh, we hope you can join us sometime in the studio, but if not, we hope you'll tune in next week for Come Follow Up. Thanks. Thanks so much. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.